Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Whether you are a member of our church family, either in person or online, or just checking us out for the first time, we believe that you belong here at New Hope Church, and we hope that this message speaks to you today. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv, and we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Church. My name is Howard. I'm the campus pastor for that crazy group of folks down in Alvin at the Alvin campus. I want to invite them in along with Pastor Mike and everybody at Friendswood, Pastor Jeremy and his crew down in Webster, Pastor Jordan, everybody joining us from all over on the online campus. And obviously my good friend, Pastor John and everybody right here at 288. Man, it is great to be here. Yeah. Especially today, because today is when we celebrate Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, it's the Sunday before Easter. It's the Sunday when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, folks throwing palm branches at him, shouting, Hosanna! Uh, It it was the beginning of his final week on earth, and uh, it's a very, very significant day. And it's also a very significant day for our church, because... Palm Sunday is the day we celebrate our church's anniversary. Today is 33 years of New Hope doing local ministry. That's awesome. Here's a funny story you may not know. I, I, the church started in March of 1989. I got married in February of 1989. And I met Tim, Jane, and Nicole for the first time in January of 1989. So when I meet them, as I told you, we're getting married in about a month. And so my uh, future wife says, hi, my name's Charlene. Can she be my flower girl? <laughs> Seriously. And, and, you know, Nicole's like three years old and she's cute as can be. And we didn't have a flower girl. And Tim's like, whoa, weirdo, you don't even know us. <laughs> and um, she's like, oh, don't worry, we're going to be great friends. Can she be my flower girl? And so on February 18th, 1989, Nicole Liston was our flower girl. Y'all want to see a picture? I brought a picture. Brought a picture. Here we go. Isn't she cute? Look at that. Look at that. And just because I know you're dying to see it. What did we look like that day? You're dying to see it. Here we go. Woo! Man, look at that shiny suit. Look at that shiny suit. Now, we all know a lot has changed over 33 years, and here's some more proof. But right after this first pick was taken then is when we started having church. So Charlene and I agreed to leave the church where we were attending and volunteering, and we came here. Now, I wasn't on staff or anything. I just thought it was cool and I wanted to help out, you know, and here's the reason that I show you these. This guy right here has no idea what God has planned. No idea what kind of amazing things God is going to do through the faith in New Hope Church. Now, this guy here, he's seen some things. I can tell you, he's seen some things. This guy's seen people get saved. Relationships get restored. This guy's seen people just step up and step out and make serving the Lord the number one goal of their life. Now, this guy, he's, he's hopeful. He's hopeful. He's, he's new to the faith, actually. 22 years old. He knows there's a kind of a good group of people here, but he's got no idea if God's going to bless his church. No idea if it's ever going to grow larger than the hundred or so people that are there on the very first weekend. Now, this guy is also hopeful, but here's the difference. He's also expectant. 
He's expectant because he's seen God do things over and over and over again that he didn't know could be done. He's seen one campus grow to five campuses. He's seen people on fire for Jesus, just ministering to each other, their friends and the people they don't even know. He's seen people giving to causes that will never benefit them. He's seen people inviting other people into their homes and, and, and welcoming them. He's seen people volunteering in all sorts of capacities, people doing everything they can to make Christ known. Now this guy has hair. I don't know if y'all notice that. <laughs> Hair's a good thing, I agree, hair's a good thing, but this guy knows that God is still in the business of doing amazing things. And he knows that God is not done with New Hope Church. And I just tell you, when you come into this place, you may not be able to see the whole picture, but trust me, God can. And God is still winning. Every single week, God is winning. And he'll continue to use New Hope and he'll continue to use us as long as we stay faithful and we stay committed. And so I just want to encourage you to be expectant and be willing. Be expectant and be willing. And I just want to thank him one more time for everything he's done over the last 33 years. Happy anniversary, New Hope Church. All right. Well, thank you for taking a few moments and celebrating that with me. It's, it's big stuff. Uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we are in a series that we are calling The Last Thursday, where we're taking a look at the events that happened on this day right here, the day before Good Friday, before the day that Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified. Pastor Tim, he taught weeks one and two. He taught about the Last uh, Supper and he talked about the Last Promises. And today we'll be looking at the Last Prayers of Jesus. So the text for our lesson will be John chapter 17. And so we'll just be going through it, going through a whole bunch of it, pulling out some very significant stuff. And, and we'll probably use it as a guide toward the end. We'll use it as a guide for how we should be praying. So this is week three of a three week series, which leads us up to next week, which is Easter. And I know that all the campus pastors just talked about it. And so I just want to say this, it's our job to tell people about Jesus and invite them to church. As Christians, that's our job. I know we talk about a lot, but invite your one, take a card home, invite your one, bring a friend to church with you. All right, that's all I'm gonna say about that. All right, uh, as I said before, today's text is John 17. Now, if you have one of those red letter Bibles where every word that Jesus spoke is in red, you'll see this entire chapter, minus the first sentence, is in red. And that's because the whole chapter is the text of Jesus' prayer. Now, we know Jesus was a man of great prayer, right? He prayed a lot. It was very important to him. He was devoted to prayer, spent many nights away from the disciples in prayer. But this, John 17, uh, is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And, and it's often referred to as the high priestly prayer or even as the Lord's prayer which is, you're probably thinking, hey, Howard, wait, 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 I know the Lord's Prayer. I learned it when I was little. It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that name. And I get it. it. You're right that that prayer, which is found in a couple of the Gospels in Matthew and in Luke, is often titled the Lord's Prayer. If you Google the Lord's Prayer, that's what's going to show up. But here's the deal. That wasn't Jesus's prayer. That was Jesus teaching the disciples how they should pray. All right, remember, no matter what translation you learned it in, it either says, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins. Jesus didn't have debts. Jesus didn't have trespasses. Jesus didn't have sins. This prayer wasn't for Jesus. This prayer was for the disciples. But John 17 was Jesus's prayer. And in it, he talked about the things that he considered important some of the things he had accomplished and, and even some future prayers for the church. And I just think that if we're his followers, 
that we should concern ourselves with the things that, that Jesus prayed about, the things that were important to him. And so that's what we're looking at today. So you can go ahead and open up your Bible, open up your Bible app, download the listening guide from the info page. We're going to go ahead and get ready, uh, get into this. But before we do, I want to say one more thing. Let's set the stage. Just remember where we are. So Jesus just shared the Passover meal with his disciples, right? That was week one. And then he began to teach them what we call the upper room discourse. That was in week two. And then Pastor Tim suggested some Eshker reading this week, chapters 13 through 16. And then with the very last line of chapter 16, Jesus says this. He says, I have told you these things, meaning all this teaching he's just done, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But look at this exclamation. But take heart. Be strong. Be courageous. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He's saying, I've done it. I've done it. I have accomplished what I set out to do. I've overcome the world. And then in the very next line, he begins to pray his prayer in chapter 17. I think it's also important to point out that up until this moment, there have been several times in Jesus' ministry where he said that it wasn't his time yet. It's not my time. In John chapter 2 at the wedding in Cana where he turned the water into wine, we all know that. But when Mary asked him to help, this is what he said to her. He said, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Then in chapter 7, people are trying to get him to go to this big festival because there's going to be lots of people. Great place to announce your presence and show off your power and all that stuff. And he says in verse 6, my time is not here yet. And then later in chapter 7, when the authorities try to capture him, they, they, they just barely miss him. And then John writes in verse 30, because his hour had not yet come. So what does this mean, this whole idea of his time, his hour had not yet come? His time for what? It's, it's the time for him to fully reveal himself, to, to show who he really was. Basically, it was his time for glory. And then chapter 17, start, he starts his prayer like this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So 17, as I said, is actually one long prayer. But for illustration purposes today, we're going to break it into three shorter prayers. So what I've got for you is three observations from Jesus's last prayer. All right. First one is this. Jesus's first prayer was for himself. We saw it right there. He said, glorify your son. So think about it. So Jesus has now acknowledged that this is his time. It is his time. And he knows that this road that he's on is going to end with his death. And he opens up this prayer, petitioning his father. And he says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And then he goes on. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, so great definition, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now it's cool that word know there is actually a Greek word, says gnosko. And while it does have an, an element of intellectual knowledge, like, you know, I, I know how to get to Houston or I know how many cups are in a court, you know, it has, you have to know stuff. It also has um, an intimacy and an understanding attached to it, like a husband and a wife would know each other. So not merely just knowing who God is, but having an intimate personal relationship with God, which think about this, would have been impossible, absolutely unattainable without Jesus, because it was Jesus that taught them that God was not a vengeful, distant, unapproachable God, but he was a loving father whose very nature 
was love. So it's through Jesus that we know, gnosko, what God is like. And it's through Jesus that we can know him intimately. Then in verse four, we, we see a couple of things that Jesus tells the father he's accomplished. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. He's saying, I've brought you glory because everything I did, I did in your name. I did it for your recognition. Every miracle pointed towards you. If you remember when Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he said this in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He's saying, that's what I've done. I did it by finishing the work. I mean, think about it. Jesus' whole life has been building up to this point. His whole life has, has been just building toward this climax in music. I'm a music guy. We would say it's building to a crescendo. So if I was directing it, I'd be doing this. You know, you've seen directors, this is it. I've got friends that are directors. They're probably laughing at me right now, but here we are directing and then we get bigger. And then all of a sudden we're like, no, I need more horns. Bring in the horns. And I'm making, I'm just, you know, you see like Mickey and the Mickey's fill our magic. He's like, you know, I'm doing that. I'm calling in the timpani. I'm calling in all the brass and I'm building and building and building and building and building until we reach this point. The cross. God's plan from the very beginning, God's plan for salvation of the world was the cross. Jesus came to be our savior. Jesus came to be our sacrifice, to pay the price that we couldn't, to, to pay the ransom that we just could not afford. Jesus finished his work on the cross and the cross was Jesus's glory. I gotta admit, that feels just a little weird to say it that way, that the cross equaled glory. I don't think we often think of it like that. We could, we could say the cross equaled agony. We'd all agree on that, wouldn't we? Cross equaled shame or pain or defeat or darkness or that kind of stuff, but Jesus believed it to be his glory. Just a few days earlier, Jesus knows this time's coming, and so we read this in John chapter 12. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Woo! You think he knew it was coming? Keep reading. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Then in verse 27, he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So he finished the work. The cross was the work that God gave him to do. And now I want to talk about why it is his glory. Jesus came to this world to tell men about God and to show men the love of God. So let me ask you this. What if he would have stopped short of the cross? I mean, we just read his soul's trouble. We just read it. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, before he was arrested, the Bible tells us in Luke's gospel that he was so stressed, he actually began to sweat blood. Then in Matthew 26, we read this. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. 
A little while later, the authorities show up to arrest him. He says this to Peter, who's with him. Are you not aware that I can call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? Make no mistake, this is the way it was supposed to happen because this was God's plan. I mean, Jesus could have gotten out of it. I mean, we get, the, we, we get that, right? He could have gotten out of it. But let me ask you again, what would have happened if Jesus stopped short of the cross? It would have been proof that there is a limit to God's love. Oh, God loves you, but it only goes this far. He loves you a whole, whole lot, but there is this, this place, this line that we just can't cross. But by going to the cross, Jesus showed there is nothing, nothing that God wouldn't do to demonstrate his love. There is literally no limit to the love of God. Listen to me, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you this much. And in perfect submission to his father's perfect plan, Jesus said, Father, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Jesus' first prayer was for himself. And that leads us to number two. Jesus' second prayer was for the disciples. It was for the disciples. So as we continue through the chapter, we see that Jesus now moves to praying for his guys, his team, the disciples. I mean, these were his hand-picked guys. And they've been doing ministry, you know, each and every day with him for three years or so. And they are on his heart as he knows he's getting close to the end. I mean, you can imagine that, right? You, you built this team up. You built it from the ground up. You've been working and training and doing all these amazing things together. And, and now because of that, they're, they're special to you. There's a bond there now. But here's the deal. Now you're going to be leaving. And you just want to make sure that they're going to be okay. And so starting in verse 6, he talks about how special they are. He says, I have revealed to you, he talks to the Father, I revealed you, Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. That's logos. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words, this is Rhema, so he's been teaching them. I gave you the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. Jesus saying, these are my guys. These are my guys. And these guys get it, God. They get it. They believe in you. They believe in your word. They believe you sent me. And so they believe in me. You know, the NCAA, the men's basketball tournament, it just finished this last week. And uh, Kansas Jayhawk ones for you fans, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I got to tell you, the team that I've, that I've really been caught up in the last couple of years has been the University of Houston. Uh, yeah, you know, um, last year they surprised everybody, right? They surprised the whole nation. They made all the way to run the final four. They lost to the eventual champions, Baylor. Eh, sick of Bears. You know, they, they lost to Bears. Um, that's my family's team, so I had to celebrate that. So they, they did. But then this year started, and they graduated four of their five 
starters last year, so they're starting over basically. And then in December, at the very beginning of the season, they lost two of their best four players for this year, including their best scorer. And if you know anything about basketball, that's pretty important. But, uh, you know, Kelvin Sampson, the coach, he, he never lost faith. He just kept saying, you're my guys. I brought you in because you're the kind of guy I want here. And you are my guys. And if you keep doing things the right way, you keep doing the things that I told you, you keep playing for each other, you keep doing those things, and we're going to keep doing great things. And I'm just telling you, out of nowhere, no one's expecting it. They won their conference. They went like 32 and six. They go to the tournament. They upset Illinois. They upset the number one seed, Arizona. And, and they do it because they're just working harder than everybody else. They're rebounding and they're defending and they're jumping on the floor and getting every loose ball. And they continue to do that all the way up to the elite eight. And then they came just ah, a hair short of going to the final four for a second year in a row. Now, I listen to a lot of sports talk, a lot. And, um, you know, it's been a big topic. And so I, I get to hear Coach Sampson interviewed all the time. People are talking to him. And I'm telling you, every time he talks about one of his guys, he talks about them like they're his own kids. And he knows. They ask him about a player. And all of a sudden, he's just telling you the whole guy's backstory and what he's doing and what his favorite color is and what his family does. and where. I mean, the guy just knows everything about them. And you just realize that he's fully invested in them. And then when they, talk to, when they talk to the players, they speak about him the same way. And I'm telling you, that's what I'm imagining when I think about Jesus praying for these guys. He's saying, these are my guys. They've been there with me. These are my guys. And then he prays for protection from two very specific things. And the first enemy is this. He prays for protection from division, from division. So we skip down to verse 11. And it says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus prayed that they would be one, not just with God, but with each other, having a unity of the spirit as it talks about in Ephesians 4. So let's look back real quick at John chapter 13. This is during that teaching time in the upper room. Jesus tells the disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then in chapter 15, he doubles down on that. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus knows that loving one another is the key to fighting division. I mean, think about this. How many groups, how many teams, like work teams or, or sports teams or sadly churches, that we've seen brought down by division. It always starts small, right? It starts small. Then it builds and builds and festers and builds and grows until it's this massive rift that there is just no way to come back from. And I'm just telling you, when we see it, it's so sad, it's so disheartening. And Jesus knows that this is a danger for the disciples, not only for the disciples, their group and their ministry, but for the glory of God because people look at the church. People look at the church and when they see division and they, they, they begin to question God and they question what we believe at our very core. One of my favorite things Pastor Tim ever said many, many years ago, you don't have to be my twin to be my brother. And, and that means that we can love one another. 
We can love one another. We can work to build a bond of peace. As long as we can acknowledge that Jesus is God's son and Jesus is the only way to heaven, then we can have unity. Even if we don't agree on every single detail, we keep the main thing, the main thing. As Jesus prayed, so that they may be one. So the first thing he prayed protection from was division. The second thing he prayed protection from was spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. Starting in verse 14, we read, I have given them your word, Logos, and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word, Logos, is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have seen them. I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too must be truly sanctified. So another reason that, that this unity among them was so vital is that Jesus knows that as soon as he's gone, that they're going to come under heavy attack from, from the evil one. He knows it. It's like watching nature shows, you know, and you're watching the lions and they're surrounding the herd, just watching and walking. And then there's like one dude, one antelope, one wildebeest just sitting there minding his own business. And he goes, hey, where'd everybody go? Starts looking around. It's like, cue the music. We all know what's about to happen. That's the same way that Satan works, man. That is his MO2. First Peter 5.8 tells us that. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. As we learned in the series right before this, Battle Ready, we learned in that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark, dark world, man, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus knows that they face a battle because this world has always opposed the gospel. It did in Jesus' day. It still does today. I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I've caught myself many times just thinking, man, how much easier would everything be if I could just move away, find some quiet place somewhere, you know, get away from all the craziness and maybe even find a place that doesn't have cable news or heaven forbid social media or, you know, tell me, have you ever had that dream before? You had that dream? But let's look again what Jesus said in verse 15. We just read it. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word, your logos is the truth. Jesus realized you don't protect them by removing them from the battle but by arming them for the battle. Armed with God's word. He prayed that they would stay grounded in the truth. He prayed that they would be battle ready. That brings us to Jesus' third prayer. Jesus' last prayer was for us, was for us. Now by us, I mean that Jesus prayed for everybody that would come to a knowledge of God through the church that was started by his disciples. Let's look at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, 
Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I love that Jesus is praying with this long-term focus here. I mean, he's praying for us. He's praying that everybody that came before us, he's praying for everybody that's gonna come after us, and he's praying for unity and, and protection just like he did for the disciples. And Jesus' desire for us, what he wants us to do, is exactly the same as it was for the disciples. Look at John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. As the world, as, as unbelievers observe the way we act and the way we care for each other, the way we support each other, the way we love each other, then they just may begin to realize that there must be some truth to the claims of the gospel. I have a story I want to share with you. There is a lady at the Alvin campus. Her name is uh, Debbie. And Debbie, nice lady, she comes up to me about five or six weeks ago in the lobby and she goes, Pastor Howard, Pastor Howard, I just want to say thank you. And I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? You know, that kind of a deal. And she goes, no, no, no. I want to thank you and the whole church. I want to thank New Hope Church for this, this push, this challenge to find our ones. She said, through Facebook, I'm, I'm friends with some ladies and, and through them, I, I came to the knowledge of a lady that was actually an old classmate of mine from many, many years ago. And she was just in a bad spot. And she, um, she had gotten married real young into an extremely abusive marriage and you know, managed to eventually get out, but she just still carried all of the emotional scars and baggage and some mental issues. And, and her life had just become this giant spiral of bad situations and substance abuse. And now she's living in a homeless community with some other homeless folks. And so Debbie just said, I felt that God had put this lady, her name was Sherry. She said, I felt that God had just put Sherry on my heart. So Debbie starts to do stuff, man. She goes and finds her. She starts to take her food, like easy stuff, like pizza and easy to eat stuff. And, and she took her essentials. And then when she heard of organizations giving out stuff or blankets or other things, she would go and pick them up and, and, go, and go bring them to Sherry. And, and Sherry at some point's like, hey, hey, there's something different about you. What's your deal? What's your deal? And Debbie's like, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. And... I'm supposed to love one another and supposed to help take care of each other. And then Sherry says, how do I become a Christian? And so Debbie starts bringing her to church. Now the, 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 the compound was closer here to 288. So instead of bringing her to Alvin, she was bringing her here to 288. And uh, Sherry loved it. And uh, eventually she begins to get it. She begins to get it. She begins to understand it. And at some point, she makes a decision to follow Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And one of the things that Sherry loved was praying. She loved to pray. She prayed all the time. And for the first time in her life, she began to understand just how much God loved her. 
And, and as fate would have it, and maybe even because of this hard life, Sherry ended up passing away not that long ago. And so Debbie's talking to me and she's telling me the story and she's obviously sad, but she smiles at me and she said, but I know, I know that her eternity is changed. Her, she's in a different place now because of what she experienced here. And then she leaned in and smiled again and said, and now I've got other people asking me questions too. Everyone, that's what the verse says, everyone. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, I said I thought that we could use this model as a model for our prayers. And so here's three quick takeaways. Number one, praying for ourselves. Jesus first prayed for himself, and I think that we should too. But here's the key. He prayed for himself that he could bring glory to God. I was challenged by that, I'll be honest. I was challenged by that and um, consequently, I wanna challenge you too. How do you pray for yourself? Is it to bring about God's glory? Are you asking him to use you? Use me, God. Use me to fulfill your will, man, and, and, and bring you glory. Are you just asking him to glorify you and glorify whatever your newest plan is this week? Pray for ourselves. The second thing, I'm calling pray for the 99 because Jesus' second prayer was about his disciples. That's his guys, his team. They're the ones doing ministry, working side by side with him, guys that are just getting it done. And for us, that would mean praying for all of our folks who are just carrying the rock, man, doing ministry every single week, all those people that we call the 99, the ones that are volunteering, the ones that are serving, the ones that are giving and doing life together, the ones that are working to know, gnosko, know Christ and make him known here at New Hope Church. And we need to be praying for our 99s. And lastly, just as Jesus prayed for the future, for everybody to come, I think we need to be praying for our ones. We need to be praying for our ones. You should be praying for our ones. And I'm saying our because not just your personal one. I want you praying for your personal one. And real quick, let me stop. If you think that you don't have a one, trust me, everybody has a one. Someone that God is putting in your path. The whole reason God doesn't take us to heaven when we get saved is so that we can tell other people about the gospel. Trust me, God has somebody in your path who is a one. Now, if you don't know who that is, if you've been trying to identify and you don't know, that's where you pray. God, please reveal to me, who is it that you are putting in my path? Who do you want me to share the message about you? but not only praying for your ones, but praying for all of our ones. It's a church-wide initiative. Pray for our ones. Pray that our ones' hearts will be softened when they get an invite. And then pray that that morning when they get up and get dressed and get in their car, they're gonna be brave enough to, to see it through and to come and to come to church. And I just wanna encourage you to say, you can do this. You can do this. And guess what? You still have a week. You could invite them to Easter next week. Wouldn't that be awesome? I just want to say this once again, from the perspective of a guy who has seen amazing things over the last 33 years happen at this church, I am confident, I am so confident that God will continue to do amazing things through the faith and New Hope Church. And I just want to encourage you in this way, jump in. Jump in with both feet. 
If you have it, what's holding you back? Is it, is it a fear thing? Like you don't know what's going to happen? Is it something in your past that, that you just can't quite get over? Is it a, a pride thing? Do you somehow think that your, your important plans and stuff are more important than God's plans? I don't know what it is. But I'm just telling you, jump in, jump in. See what God will do in your life. Jump in. Would you stand with me? If you enjoyed the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.